Gentlemen, welcome back this week to another amazing, very, very important episode of The Superman Life. Guys, joining me on the show today is none other than Mitch Bernie. Mitch is the founder of USA Rehab Centers. USA Rehab Centers is a national database of drug, alcohol, mental health, physical rehabilitation, and legal services that makes finding help practical and accessible. Think of Travelocity. Think of Expedia, but think of it in terms of finding the help, the recovery, the rehab that we all need. Guys, we know the stats here tell us that the vast majority of us have somebody in our life, whether directly in our family or maybe ourselves, that are battling some type of addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, mental health issues. And one of the biggest barriers of people actually breaking through and finding the treatment is the accessibility. And that's why Mitch has been on this mission to create USA Rehab Centers and bring it to the world, guys. So I'm so fired up for you guys to dive into this conversation here with us. Mitch and I are going to talk about many of those challenges that people face when seeking addiction treatment, whether it's the insurance coverage, the availability of comprehensive treatments, or the location barriers that are always present. We talk about the role and impact that COVID-19 had on addiction, mental health, social interactions, and so forth and so forth. We talk about, and this was something that wasn't expected getting into the conversation, but it led us to a lot of the challenges that men face when it comes to opening up and how oftentimes our ego is the biggest thing that prevents us from actually having those conversations that are to control our life. Guys, we talk about Mitch's personal journey of confronting alcoholism and how a handful of moments changed his life and set him on this mission that God has given him to make rehab and recovery so accessible for those guys. And then we dive deep into what is the mission of rehab centers. Guys, when I got connected with Mitch, it was through one of the members here within one of our masterminds. And it just shows the power of community, the power of networking, the power of having a group of men that you're doing life with. And when I got connected with Mitch and we jumped on a call to kind of talk about how aligned our missions were with USA Rehab Centers and what we're building at Rebuild Recovery, I knew I needed to bring him on. And guys, this conversation does more than just deliver for you today, guys. But without further ado, guys, let's get into today's conversation with Mitch Bernie, making rehab and recovery accessible to the world. We love you guys. And we'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Superhuman Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world that is dedicated to helping men level up in the five key areas of life. Each week, we bring you real and raw conversations with the world's leading experts in faith, fitness, finance, family, and freedom to provide you with real actionable tools to break limiting beliefs, take action, and shatter the glass ceiling on your life's potential. So jump on board and join me on this journey as we dive into today's conversation and unlock the keys to you becoming the man you were born to be and creating your own superhuman life. Mitch, talk to me about the importance of accessibility when it comes to service providers and people needing help and why accessibility is so important to you and to just people in general. Frank, that's probably the best question anybody could ask. The reality is when somebody needs help, the window to help them is very narrow. And with the severity of the drugs today, if we miss that opportunity, the next use could be death. And the problem has always been when somebody's trying to find help or their loved ones or friends or employers are trying to help them. It can be very difficult and labor intensive. Who takes my insurance? Do they treat the problem that I have? Maybe I have multiple problems. Can they treat them all in one place? And these are barriers to accessing treatment. And uh, it makes no sense to me that for decades now, we can search for hotels with a king bed and an ocean view and four stars, you know, next Tuesday through Thursday, pick a coastal city. But if I said to you that I know a male that has a problem with methamphetamine, cocaine, alcoholism, depression, is the insurance, and I need a facility within 20 miles because transportation is a relevant issue. Of 89503, there was really never a site or a place to go to perform that kind of a search. And that's troubling. 
Yeah. Wow. That's shocking, right? I mean, what you said there is oftentimes it's that point where they're at help. It's like, it's immediate. It's, it's necessary. And I think a follow-up there would be is oftentimes the point when people realize they need help. Is it too late? I don't want to say, is it too late, but is there a way that we could maybe even understand we need help sooner? Well, you know, that's part of the informational uh, knowledge that's also part of what we're working on is making sure that, you know, people can learn about different, both uh, drug addictions and mental health disorders and and maybe find what kind of help they even need. And that, that's mm. part of our model as well. So that's another great question. I think that uh, information has been very limited in this arena up until recently. Uh, has it even been okay to talk about it? I mean, you go back to the 2010, 2015, and uh, this wasn't a conversation people were willing to have only until recently. And I think because of COVID, uh, have people been willing to have this conversation? And I say COVID because the problems that COVID created are far greater than COVID itself. We went through a just significant increase in drug addiction, alcoholism, mental health disorders, not just in our country, but globally. And so the discussion is probably a little bit more um, open today than it ever has. Yeah. And people are looking for the information and, and the resources to obtain help. Yeah, I know we're talking, you know, about addiction across the board here, you know, with all substances. But that's really what I felt in 2019. You know, when I got free from porn, I'm like, there's nobody talking about this. And there wasn't anybody in my life that was really talking about it. And that was kind of the genesis for me to start this podcast is let me just let me just be the one that opens up the conversation. Let me just be the one that invites this conversation into people's doors and rooms. And it's been amazing here in four years, just kind of some of the acceptance. And I think we're making a lot of progress, but an education is a big part of what we try to do as well. Why, why did COVID cause these issues well you talk about people being sequestered to their house or you know being quarantined and or wearing masks and all of these other things that that were a part of that experience early on during the shutdowns uh, leaves uh, people alone and isolating and there's less social act interactivity and 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 anyone that's been on that fine line between um, depression and uh, without depression can very easily cross over during that period of time. And people that suffer from depression or drug addiction or alcoholism will increase their use or have greater problems. I think that it's just the, the lack of social interaction and um, mm. it, it really was fueled to the fire for a lot of people. Yeah. Have you heard the statistic that uh, roughly 12% of men, adult men, have zero close friends. Close friend being defined as somebody you can call in time of need. 12%, almost one out of nine men, don't have a person that they could call if they're struggling. Yeah, I didn't know that was an actual st statistic, but I believe that. Um, I think that, you know, just by nature, um, women are more social creatures. Hmm. So for us to, you know, be willing to invite friends into our life, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. It took me years to develop, uh, you know, a, a handful of close male relationships. So I understand that. Yeah, I want to go back a little bit. But what you said, I real quick, I want to hijack this and just kind of share something I saw on social media here today. Um, I don't want to get into a political discussion here because we have more, I think, pressing points to talk about. But talking about the difference between male and female nature, I saw an Instagram uh, post today of a woman that I think four or five years into her transition uh, from female to, to male, uh, went online and started talking about how hard and difficult and lonely it is as a man. You know, it's interesting because these trans people will say that they feel like a man in a, in a female's body. They have no clue what it, what it actually means to be a man and how lonely and isolated it can be. So this is a very hot pressing topic for me. And it's something we talk a lot about the need for community, but here, Mitch, I, I want to go a little, part of it, I'm sorry. I think part of it might be the male ego. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. We really absolutely. don't need anybody else's help or advice. And so we're less likely to look for it. And yeah, uh, 
and therefore not pursue those great. But I would also say we're less likely to have people reach out and ask how you're doing. Like girls check in on each other. You know, if you don't see Susie, you know, three days, you know, consecutively at the gym, you're going to check in. Hey, Susie, you doing okay? You don't see your buddy a couple of days. You're like, ah, he's, you know, he's, he's probably working on something he's doing. Okay. We just don't, we just don't reach out. So I definitely agree it's a part of the ego, but I just think it's also part of just our nature as men. Like sometimes we, like we're just called to man up and I don't, I, I don't agree with that. Right. Like I, I don't agree that we just need to pick our, you know, selves up out of the dirt and just go like we need community. We need men. But I, I think that there's other components other than just the male ego, but I 100% agree. Like sometimes we don't want to reach out because we look weak. Yeah. And it's very interesting. You say that because I've told the story to a number of people a number of times and I never really related it to what your point is here. But when I first moved to Northern Nevada in 1992, I had a tenant in a house that I leased and sublet some rooms. And in 1995, he moved to L.A. and started pursuing his film career. And it turns out in 2014, 19 years later, I ran into him. And it was really strange because I know that if we were girls, we would have emailed, called, texted, stayed in touch. Guys just don't seem to do that. We were really close friends then, too, and still are now today. We've reconnected. And he actually became the... He filmed 19 seasons of The Amazing Race and yeah. a whole bunch of other national shows. And we worked together on a local television show, as a matter of fact, the cause of what we're about to talk about. So I think that's really funny that you mentioned that, you know, we just don't pick up the phone and call. We didn't email write or anything for 19 years. Yeah, I'm sure you picked right back up, though. I have a handful of guys right like that. Up, my, yeah. my, my, my best friend from high school, man, we, you know, we went to school together. We lived together in our late teens, early 20s. We separated. He's about three hours north here in Jacksonville. We'll sometimes go you know, six, eight, 12 months, and it's like we pick it up, and it's like we literally just we start talking like we were hanging out the day before. You know, so it's just really unique. Like when you had those real years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was yesterday. Yep. Yep. Well, let's go back, man. Let's go back here a little bit in, in your journey and kind of talk about why addiction and recovery and creating a place of accessibility is so important and why it's so heavy on your heart here. Tell us the story of, of, of you getting into USA Rehab Centers. Well, that's uh, quite a journey, as a matter of fact, and one I didn't expect to take. And sometimes, you know, it's just interesting how life decides what your journey is going to be. Um, if you're open and available, um, you know, I guess my story starts back in uh, 2000 and, uh, in the year 2001. I uh, received two DUIs in 90 days. I was firmly entrenched in the criminal justice system. And, you know, I'm not proud of that. I, um, it's kind of, you know, embarrassing to have to share. And there are a lot of people right now that are not going to be happy to hear that. Um, I got lucky. I didn't hurt somebody. I didn't injure anyone or their family members. And, uh, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow. But um, in the second DUI, I had the uh, wherewithal to cut off a police paddy wagon. So uh, I'm one of the few guys you'll ever meet that actually got pulled over by the police paddy wagon. You know, the van with a bunch of people in back hauling the captures from downtown back to the station at the end of the night on a Friday night. And he pulled me over and he said, I you have good news and bad news. Uh, the bad news is you're getting a DUI. The good news is I have one more space. Hop in. My life was uh, in shambles. It was um, it was tough. And uh, I got very blessed and uh, wound up with a nudge from a judge and an opportunity to get sober. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, I was thirsty enough and humble enough um, and uh, ready enough to accept help. And I think that was the, uh, the turning point for me is willingness to accept help from others. Yeah. And I think we mentioned a little while ago, that's not always, you know, the strongest male trait with our egos. And uh, I'm probably the alcoholic that should have and uh, would have otherwise uh, drank himself to death. And it's, um, alcohol is pretty deadly. Yeah. You said this was 2001, Mitch. I'm curious, um, leading up to that, I mean, were you, aware of the issue with, with drinking? And if so, how long had it been? That's funny. Uh, <laughs> was I aware? You know, it was really, you know, the, the funny part about it is I had two years of, al of severe alcoholism. I just went down like a ball of flames. Mm. People ask if I hit bottom and I laugh. I said, how do you hit bottom? I bounced off of it. You know, it was that hard. It was that hard that fast. It was, yeah. you know, from 99 to 2001. Life changed. Everything changed. 
I crashed and burned and it was painful. The, the thing about alcohol and alcoholism is, I, at least for me, is uh, I was the last one to find out I had a problem. Mm-hmm. So when I went and announced, you know, to people that I knew, uh, I've got a problem drinking. They're like, oh, you finally figured it out. Welcome aboard. <laughs> you know, I, I lived on a river in the Amazon called Denial. Yeah. And uh, I could have drowned there. Uh, but for me, you know, I've been uh, blessed to be sober since. So when you talk about recovery, um, you know, October 12, 2001 is my mm-hmm. sobriety day. And I am truly blessed uh, to be here and to be alive and to be sober. And um, I'm now surrounded by, as we were mentioning before, some really good quality male friends. It's interesting, Mitch, because as you're sharing that, right, it's like, you know, all your friends at the time were like, oh, you finally figured it out. I'm sure now you had the people in your life that wouldn't let that happen. Oh, that's, that's true. Uh, but the friends that I had then, I called them friends of convenience. I'm talking mm. about like family and employers and everything else. But friends of convenience were just, they didn't call and say, like we were talking about earlier, hey, haven't seen you at the bar for a couple of months. Are you yeah. okay? Never a phone call. They, they just kept drinking. You know, they didn't miss me at all. You know, I wasn't there buying a drink or vice versa. So yeah. I was out of sight, uh, out of mind. But, you know, I've developed some really good quality friendships in recovery. And I think that's a, a true blessing because they're friendships at a completely different level. Yeah. So 2001, October 12th here, you know, we kind of have this uh, defining moments in our in our life. What happens from there? You know, like, do you, do you begin to see the world differently? Do you begin to feel differently? How does that lead us to 22 years later? You had this, you know, uh USA rehab centers, you have this kind of directory where people are now like you've created this space where anybody can find the help. So let's bridge that gap there a little bit over these last 22 years. Yeah. So very interesting uh, journey because I, I think if you told me, uh, you know, back on uh, October 12, 2001, this is what I would be doing. I would have laughed hysterically because there was no way I could foresee the journey that I would be taking. But I, I mentioned it's really ironic that you started with the conversation of men and staying in touch and really good friends. And, you know, I told you about the 19 years between seeing this this guy that used to you know be a really close friend and rented a room from me and everything. And well, he was uh, at the time a cameraman for a local news station and went on to, like I said, film many seasons of The Amazing Race. And um, when I was uh, floating down the river one day, 14 years into my recovery journey, 13 years of my recovery journey, you know, I just continued life. Life continued. Life keeps coming at you in recovery. And I'm, I, I just want to make sure people understand that, you know, there's uh, things still happen good things and difficult things. And we learn if we're lucky how to get through those without the drink or the drug or a breakdown. And, you know, I think that's true in in every form of addiction and mental health issue, you know, life still happens. And so I'm just living my life, continuing into the career that I had been in for decades. And all of a sudden I'm floating down a river one day and I get off the dock and here is this gentleman I hadn't seen for 19 years. And um, I said, oh, my God, how have you been? And he's like, how have you been? What are you up to? At that time, I was producing a local production level television show, a business show. And um, he had been traveling the world filming The Amazing Race. And I said, well, it's too bad you don't live in Reno. There's a, a show I'd love to do for our community. And he said, I'm moving back next year and, you know, looking to you know start filming, producing television shows. I'd love to do that with you. And I said, don't threaten me with a good time. Well, a year later in 2015, he moves back to Northern Nevada and he calls me up. And 10 days later, we're filming our first episode of a reality style television show where we're going paramotoring and skydiving and fox hunting and with a guy that filmed The Amazing Race. I mean, we just produced this show that was phenomenal. I'm just still like shocked to have been able to be a part of it. And about uh, three months into that show, somebody asked me if we would do an episode on recovery. And I don't know how that hits you, but I hadn't even thought of it. And I don't know why. And I had one of those, no wonder why I have a flat forehead moments, you know, like, how did I think of that? And what a, an honor and uh, an opportunity, because at that time we had a really good audience level and a uh, lot of viewers. And um, I thought, what an an opportunity to really help other people. Mm. And it was that television episode that literally changed 
the trajectory of my life. It's a moment I'll never forget. That uh, The night that that episode aired, which was December 12, 2015, had an alcoholic tell his recovery story. And at the end of him sharing what it was like and what happened, what it was like now, I said, what would you say to the person that's still suffering? That might inspire them to seek help for themselves. And he said, I tell you that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It takes strength to pick up the phone and ask for help. I thought, what a brilliant switch in the paradigm. You know, I wished I had heard that earlier in my own recovery because I didn't want to hear, want to help from anybody. I thought that was an admission of weakness. And really, when I think about it now, looking back, it takes a lot of power and a lot of strength to pick up the phone. It's 500 pounds when you're in, in need. Mm. It's almost impossible to do it. Yet, if you said only the strong ones can do that, I would have wanted to be one of the strong ones. And it was just a, a powerful switch in the paradigm. The next morning, I get a text from him that his next door neighbor saw the episode, knocked on his door and asked for help. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I was, you know, by that time, you know, 14 years, 14 years and a couple of months into my recovery journey. And I thought, wow, an inspirational television show could inspire somebody to seek help. And I had a guy that filmed 19 seasons of The Amazing Race working with me. Maybe I could produce a national show on recovery and inspire even more people, extrapolate that across the country to all the cities in the country. How many people a week? And that, by the way, two more people went to that individual during the next week. And I thought, okay, I don't really have a choice. If I don't do this, I'm going to forever regret it. And, and, and how ungrateful would I be or, you know, selfish would I be not to care about other people and, and give them, you know, the same opportunity to, to recover that I have. And so we started working on a national TV show and a couple of years into that, getting ready to air it, filming our first episode, writing our music score. Somebody said to me, what resource are you going to provide on that television show when you inspire people to seek help? Or you could hurt someone if you leave them hanging. Now, I don't know how that hits you or anybody listening to this right now, but the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt somebody. You know, and take them from hopeless in a state of their addiction or crisis. Make them hopeful. Oh, gosh, I'm ready for help. I'm willing to accept it. I'm making that call and struggling to find it and giving up. And now forever thinking, I've tried. There isn't ever going to be an answer for that. And I realized at that moment I couldn't put that television show on air. Because I couldn't find a resource, and I spent a couple mm. of months for it. And I decided I had the ability to build it, that I really didn't have a choice. We'll pause the television show, and I'll start working on that resource. Boy, did I underestimate the undertaking that would be. <laughs> so if you ever have a great idea, let me be the first one to tell you. It may be a great idea, but be prepared to do a lot of work to make the really good ones come true. Because this turned out to be the most ginormous undertaking of my life. But I haven't had a choice. And when you don't have a choice, it doesn't matter how big the, how, how great the, the work is. It's, you're going to do it no matter what. And that's really why we're here today. It took a couple of years worth of R&D uh, to determine what the need was. And I went to our Governor's Opiate Summit. I went to... Alliance for Mental Illness, Behavioral Healthcare Coalition meetings, Legislature on Healthcare, Marriage and Family Therapists, Clinical Professional meetings. I went to hospitals and treatment centers and out in the world of called recovery, drug, alcohol, and mental health. And I said, am I imagining the need for this? And the resounding response was, you're not imagining it. It's needed. Please build it. Mm. And then I said, okay, well, what does it look like? And they said, it has to be simple, user-friendly, and comprehensive. Now, I don't know if you've ever built technology, but that's oil and water. Simple, user-friendly, and comprehensive. They said it had to be simple enough for a two-year-old to navigate it. Basically, somebody under the influence of drugs or alcohol has to still be able to navigate it. It has to be comprehensive enough for a doctor, a nurse, a discharge nurse, or somebody in the industry to do a full clinical assessment and find the precise um, level of care for that individual right down to the nitty gritty. And I said, okay, well, that sounds complex. 
um, but and not used, not easy to do. And then uh, they said that you also have to make sure the providers can register in under ten minutes, and that they can complete their list of everything they offer and everything in under ten minutes. And like this is like not so easy to pull off. <laughs> and then the you know at the times where you're starting to think this is you know uh, a almost impossible thing to create. No wonder why it hasn't been done. Um, and probably something that should have been left for a internet giant to do with millions and millions of dollars to throw at it. Um, we started on that journey anyway. And uh, during that process, during our launch, a little bit of a roller coaster ride, this part of it, but um, September 5th, 2019, I had somebody bring a lady into my office that was interested in maybe being our attorney and working with us, passionate about recovery. And I told her the story of how we got here. And at the end of that discussion, she said, um, that text you're talking about that changed your life. I think that was about me. It was. Um, I called the gentleman that she went to the next morning, which she knew the date. She remembered the date because it was her recovery date. And she said, yeah, I went to him. Uh, I lived in a gated community. It had to be me. There were no other women in our community that were alcoholics. She said, I think that that's about me. And I called him and I can't even tell you the what he said on the other end, because he was, you wouldn't know if you met her. I never even told you her first name. And I told him her first name. And he's like, how is that even possible? You met and put it together. And I will only say, you know, I know that there is a, a divine hand in that, that I was meant to meet her. And I got to meet my wife. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't expect to ever get to, to know who it was. It didn't matter. I think what mattered to me was that, one individual was inspired to seek help because of our show. And I wanted to help more. And then two other people went to him. And I couldn't imagine not wanting to do that because it felt good. Yeah. But getting to meet her was um, an unbelievable experience. Uh, the hard part of that story, you already know, is that on September 11th of 2021, during the relapse, she perished. And I, I really want to share a little bit about this for a minute because a lot of people don't understand how powerful of a drug alcohol is. They think, you know, there's all of these other drugs in the world right now that are getting a lot of attention. But if I gave you some statistics internationally, 3 million people died in 2021 from alcohol-related deaths. 703,000 globally died from suicide deaths. And 500,000 globally died from all the drugs in the world. Six to one alcohol kills any of the drugs in the world combined. And by the way, when I gave you that number, um, that is 4,203,000 deaths in 2021 worldwide from drug, alcohol, and suicide. And if you take a Boeing 747 that holds 416 passengers in a three-class configuration, that's 10,096 747s full of people every year die. Imagine seeing a parking lot full of 10,096 planes. Hmm. And in every one of them, every seat being full. And we're losing that number of people around the world. In the United States, it was 293,622. That's two planes every day in the U.S. 28 planes a day globally. It's hard to stomach. And so when I realized that I could maybe make a difference in that, I, I, I can't imagine not even trying. I mean, inaction is an action, Frank. And when you're, when you're in action means... That you have to go forward knowing you could have maybe done something and chose not to. And I had all of the technology and teams and people and capability. And I had to have turned my back to it. And for the rest of my life, every time that I saw something come up around this, 
I realized that I just decided to do nothing. I, I don't know how to do that. It's just not possible in my world. I'm too grateful for my own recovery. And so um, I wanted to share this thing called hyponatremia because alcohol has, according to the World Health Organization, 200 different um, ways that it kills humans. And one of them happens to be a thing called hyponatremia. Sodium levels so low triggered by a lack of um, you know, sodium intake because drinking and not eating well or having a proper diet. And that it can trigger seizure coma and death. And by the way, um, what she wound up dying from was a relapse, drinking only wine. And I think that'll surprise some people because they think wine, I've never seen somebody die drinking wine. It happens every day. Mm. A glass of wine is just as much alcohol as a shot of tequila. They have the same amount of alcohol. In it. And if you consume enough wine, it's just like you're drinking a bottle of tequila. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I just don't want people to die if I could do something about it. If I can be part of it, just not playing deity here. I want to make sure you get that, people listening get that. Because none of us are, are that powerful. I, I just want to be a microscopic speck of dust in the solution. And if that's what I get to be, um, that's not a bad feeling to think that yeah. we're just that crack in the matrix. Mm. You know, we built a website, by the way, which is now live. It's functioning. And now it's time to expand it across the nation and get all the providers on it so that we have the first tool that's type where mm -hmm. somebody can look for almost 500 different items. So that was part of the problem before is, you know, it didn't cover everything. And so one of the things we heard when we were developing the site is that it has to be so comprehensive that it meets somebody right where they're at until they're fully reintegrated back into society and everything along the way, including their legal problems. Mm. So imagine if you drop the ball anywhere, you know, somebody could have to start over and that chronic cycle can wear on them. And, and during one of those relapses, we could lose them. And that's, yeah. you know, reality we face. So what we built is something that will help somebody from start to to full recovery and back into society and everything in between. You know, let's say that you're um, an indigent, uh, homeless person. And, you know, once we get sober, well, we're just going to leave you on the street. No, we actually put into our search model, residential outreach, mm. uh, sober living, transitional housing, short-term, long-term residential treatment yeah. programs, um, affordable housing, you know, financial literacy courses, because if you don't know how to balance a checkbook, you can't pay your bills. I mean, all of the services that somebody would need. If you're in the court systems, maybe you need DUI counseling or DUI testing, or uh, you maybe need house arrest or, or uh, you know, handheld breathalyzers or mm -hmm. one in your car, whatever it is, all of those services, there's just never been this one place where you could go and find everything under the umbrella yeah. of recovery. Yeah, the 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 home, the the relocation places is so crucial, right? Because I'm sure you know the stats. You know, the vast majority of relapses are going to re are, are are going to occur at the return to the environment where the addiction was initially kind of manifesting itself, right? Like, you know, if, if I go to a clinic, right, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get clean there. But then we know about eighty percent of people that return back to their same environments end up relapsing. So having that option where they can kind of find alternative places to, to live and to reside is so crucial. I want to circle back though to some of the numbers on, on alcohol, this six to one versus all the other drugs. I think the biggest thing there that really stood out to me is like alcohol, we walk into the supermarket, we walk into a convenience store. So most people don't even look at it through the lens of this is a drug because I can just buy it with my, my bananas in my produce. I can get some bananas, some oatmeal, some chicken. Oh, and I'll pick up a case of beer at the same time. It's not like I need to go knock on a crackhead's door to get a 12 pack of yingling. So I think that is one of the biggest things that like from the educational side of things, we need to begin to kind of implant into people's heads, right? Like this is a, this is a drug oftentimes more dangerous than what you're getting that's that's illegal. Six times more dangerous. And by the way, I want to talk about the drugs because everybody hears about fentanyl right now. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that that's not even the most powerful drug out there anymore. 
Hmm. And yet it is being touted as the number one killer, 70% of all overdoses. But I got news for you. That's only scratching the surface. Out there on the streets right now is a drug called Trank, which is xylazine, an animal tranquilizer mixed with fentanyl. Oh, I've seen this one. They call it the zombie drug because it literally makes you a zombie. I mean, there's no lights on when somebody's under the influence of it. And uh, it's also flesh eating. The mixture is causing um, infections and people are losing limbs and body parts. It's coming around. It's in 48 out of our 50 states already. I think one of the scariest ones, there's two of them. One is called isotonazine, if I've misenunciated that to the professional uh, doctors out there, pharmacists, I apologize. ISO, ISO is the acronym for it. And carfentanil. Both of those drugs are between 20 and 100 times more powerful than fentanyl. I just said it, 20 to 100 times more powerful than fentanyl. They're so dangerous, they're carfentanil. Um, there was a video online a year or so ago um, as it started to make its way across the United States where a highway patrolman opened up a trunk of a car and just the weight of it caused him to overdose. And while the second officer was administering Narcan by physical contact, secondhand overdosed. And it took a third person, I believe, to resuscitate them both. I mean, these are powerful. And you're talking about a lethal dose of fentanyl being about three grains of rice. So 20 to 100 times more powerful, you're talking about specs. And there isn't any way that the um, drug dealers or, or, you know, the just street dealers um, can uh, cut things in micrograms. Um, and so they don't, it doesn't take the, but the smallest error to create a lethal dose. And um, we're wiping out a generation right now. I mean, when you look at it, there are grandparents raising their grandchildren because their children have overdosed. We should never have that happen as a society. We have um, an entire generation we're losing and their kids and their kids' kids. And we have kids growing up without their parents as a result of it. What, what the, generation is so susceptible here? Is this Z? Generation Z? Well, right now they're saying the highest number of deaths are between the ages of 19 and 45. So, a couple. Um, you got a little bit of Z, Y, and you got millennials in there. And it's not just that, it's, it's the, the generations that are being affected after that, or the loss of even future generations and innovators and leaders of our country. And this is real serious. And I, I hope that people listening are, are getting an idea of how important it is that we unite to do something about it. Because, you know, we can talk about the statistics and we can talk about the problem, but that's where it usually ends. Mm. What happened to me, and I hope what's happening to some other people listening to us talk right now, is that uh, I couldn't just stand by and not get involved. You know, I had to get off the seat and onto the court, yeah. be an active part of the solution. Yeah. And really that's what we're doing is we're calling on the community, the business community, the, the leaders of our city, state, and local governments. And um, we're calling on all of the hospitals and treatment centers and providers of services around the country to join us in our effort. We built this resource. And now as a community, you know, say it, take, say it takes a village to raise a community. We need the community now to come and unite with us. And so you don't have to build this yourself. We built it. It's live. It's working. We we did that. But you can actually join um, and help us complete this. So it's the most robust, powerful tool the world's ever had. And by the way, we're also adding to that a first responder web app. So when you're a first responder out in the field and you're in front of somebody needing help, to have this at your fingertips could be the mm. difference between life and death for that individual plus their long-term recovery just by being able to say, okay, would you like help? Yes, I would. Here, this is where you go. And so we're not just providing a resource for everyone to use, but we want it to be able to be accessible to all the law enforcement and first responders and uh, your uh, emergency medical uh, staff and, and discharge nurses and 
all the physician offices around this country where everybody have the ability to, in a millisecond, tell somebody where they can get help for their exact needs. Imagine if we do that collectively as a society, if we get together and we pull this off. We've built it. And now, you know, we're ready to ask everyone to join us in it. Well, let's talk to the guys in here, right? You know, we got we got a good, you know, good size audience here, you know, predominantly men, you know, ages 25 to 40 that are going to be hearing this, you know, a lot of guys in the entrepreneur business space, a lot of guys that have maybe gone through their own journeys of recovery, whether it's in porn, drug, alcohol, you know, these guys are they're they're listening because they want to do good for the world, but more importantly, they want to grow themselves, right? They're 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 here to evolve and they're here to mature and step up and level up in 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 their life. So, for the guy out here hearing this today and he's like mitch i got this man you know i've i've had to fight alcoholism or drug addiction my entire life i've been on this journey for 10 plus years i feel like i've, I've got it in in my life right now what's what's the step for him where does where does he go how does he take this conversation that you and i are having and actually do something with it in his life like what's the step for the guy hearing this today thank you for asking that i think there's a multitude of ways people can get involved with us and uh, first of all i'll make sure that anybody that's listening right now i'll give you a minute to get a pen and paper and i'll i'll uh, give you my contact information so that you can contact me directly and i accept you know any call out there that wants information maybe they have somebody that needs help um, or uh, they want to be a part of the solution um, so i'll give you a minute before i i give that out but i think there's a, a a number of ways people can get involved. You know, individuals could support our cause and they could donate to our expanding the website. See, here's what's interesting about this. I think the reason it wasn't done before is we have to go one by one to every provider and get them to go complete their provider form on our website. They know all the insurance companies they they take. I can't just buy a data a list and upload it on the site and think the information is going to be accurate. So we need each facility across this country to provide services and wraparound services for drug addiction, alcoholism, mental health, physical rehabilitation, and legal services for drug and alcohol related crimes. I'm talking bail bonds, family lawyers, criminal lawyers, all of the um, personal injury and workers comp attorneys. Plus, when you get into the wraparound services, anyone that provides things like parent training, or child services, youth services, all of the different treatment protocols, equine therapy, music therapy, uh, CBT, EMDR, I mean, people that are listening to these know what those are. And um, there's just any type of treatment protocol, faith-based, uh, mom programs. I mean, literally, we have created a site that if there is something that's in the treatment space that it's not there mm. and you provide that service, all you have to do is contact me and we'll add that service to our yeah. discoverable list as well, because this is designed to be the most comprehensive tool that's ever existed. There's already about 500 items on there that people can search for. So first thing, providers of any of these programs, we'd like you to get on there and register. And here's what's going to surprise a lot of people. There's absolutely no obligation to purchase the thing. There's no free trial period garbage. There's an absolutely free listing that's available for the providers. No credit card, no monthly, no annual, and no gimmicks. We want everyone on there. So there are no excuses for providers not to be there. Now, if they want to add some videos and pictures and things like that, they can pay a, a reasonable upgrade and add some of those things. But that's all they're, they're buying is the presentation of their facility out how many pictures and photos or video and things like that are there, Google Maps. But every provider is welcome to be on there. This isn't about greed. This is about doing the right thing. Now, the ones that do support us allow us to do radio, TV, print, billboards, every door, direct mail. If you or your loved one need help, where they can go find it. Because community awareness is the second thing that's on our, our, our table here is we build the source and then we have to make sure people know where to find it. And uh, so people that are out there that are, are in recovery, maybe they don't have a facility, but they still want to get involved, they can support us through a contribution. Business community owners all across this nation, um, are, we're looking for sponsors, um, community partners. And if they want to get involved and they want to be the leader in our building this resource in their community, 
You know, we launched it here in Northern Nevada. We have a couple of dozen really solid businesses that have come to the aid of our website and said, look, we want this. We need this in our community. And here is a check and and build it. And we're going to sponsor, you know, these facilities. We There's a lot of really good nonprofits that deserve a really good listing. And they, they're give, giving a contribution to us. And we're adding these nonprofits and introducing these nonprofits uh, that to their business that they're their sponsor. And, and we're trying to bring the community together to support each other that way, that, that these businesses know that other businesses are supporting their work in recovery. Yeah. Um, and then I know that probably someone listening out there is uh, part of our uh, one of the local governments, whether it be city council or state or le- local or state or county uh, government or um, one of the um, jurisdictions across the country, even some of our senators and um, legislature uh, representatives. And uh, there are resources that the government can provide to us. I know, for an example, right now there are opiate dollars from these opiate settlement funds, and they are they have to be spent to help the opiate crisis. We're a direct way of saving lives from the mm. opiate problem when we help people get well. Yeah. And so we want to have those resources so that we can get every opiate provider of treatment services on our site. There's just so many different ways people can be involved. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just like, as you're sharing, like we're, we're fighting the opiate crisis by helping people. It's like, not only are you helping the person get free, but you're helping the person that they're eventually going to do the drug with, right? Because I'm sure every person that's doing drugs is introducing a person to the drug for for the first time. So yeah, it's just, as you're sharing this, like we're helping people. It's like, yeah, but you're actually helping people eventually not get into it. Cause if you get somebody free, think of all the lives that they would not impact by introducing that drug. That's why that, this is such an important conversation. Right. I hope to be the billboard for that because yes. had, had you not helped me 21 years ago, I wouldn't have built this and look at the number of lives that I mm. might have an impact on. Yeah. And so I think everyone is worth saving and everyone has something that they've yet to do in their life. Yeah. And you know, through recovery, like the, the, the joy that you get out of helping others and what it does for your own recovery, right? There isn't a feeling that I've ever had in my life that's great. Mm -hmm. Drink a drug or even a thrill ride in the world. That's been great. I'll say that, but I want to share something else that people don't always recognize about why this is so important that we rally together behind being part of the solution. By the way, somebody asked me before I tell you that about, um, you know, beating this war or this this war on drugs. I said, there is no beating the war because if you just, uh, you know, arrest some people and, and, and confiscate some drugs, they're going to be more behind it. And the thing is, is this whole reason for going from people have asked me this too. Why would anyone want to create a drug like our fentanyl or ISO? you know, 20 to 100 times more powerful than fentanyl. They don't want to kill their market. It, it's not that. It's easier to transport the smaller you have mm. to carry it in. And so yeah. the other thing- too much, that, that question is giving too much credit to to the individual and not the underlying spiritual warfare that's kind of taking place. Let's you know, say that we end the demand. These mm. are people get well, they're not out buying. Yes. And then there isn't demand and there's no profit in producing. The yes. risk of production and getting cost is no longer yes. worth the return because the return isn't there. So our best way to win this is to help the people that are suffering. Mm-hmm. And now one other thing, when we help them, there isn't any other problem in the world we'll ever solve that will have a greater impact on the world all at the same time. So I just recently talked to a gentleman that was a previous police chief in Clark County, Nevada, Las Vegas. And I asked him, I said, what percentage of the population in the prisons in Las Vegas uh, were there because of either a crime uh, that was committed like possession, trafficking or distribution or was committed under the influence of drugs, alcohol or a mental health crisis? And his answer was, 90% 90% of the prison population. Now, I want you to put that into perspective a little bit, because if you look at the amount of petty thefts, strong arm robberies, home invasions, you look at the domestic violence and the children that have to witness it, and the child protective services costs, judicial costs, 
prosecutorial costs, the cost of the courthouse, the cost of the detention facilities. And you look at the medical transport, the uninsured ER visits, the uninsured uh, um, hospital stays. All of these that are fiscal budgets as, as taxpayers, and it affects the quality of life in every one of our communities. It's not just the individual get well gets well. Our communities heal. Mm. This is how big of a problem we're solving. Yeah. Well, twelve to twelve to twenty one percent of U.S. children are being raised in a home with a parent that is fighting or struggling with. Yeah, you don't want to hear this truth because one this, out of five kids, one out of five kids have a parent that has an addiction right now. Okay, this one will floor you. According to the AFCARS, which is a national report on children in the foster care system, this is the June of 2022's most recent report. 36% of all children that are in the foster care system in our country are there because parental drug abuse. 6% because parental alcohol abuse and 2% because of the kids' um, alcohol mm. abuse. So you're talking 42% of all children in the United States in foster care are there because of drugs and alcohol. Staggering numbers. Yeah. Unacceptable numbers. Yeah. I just think that if you start to look at, you know, us coming together, as a community, as a society. And by the way, I promise to give my information. I don't want to forget to do that. I hope I gave everyone enough time to get a pen and a piece of paper. Anybody that wants to be more involved with our work uh, can reach me at Mitch, M-I-T-C-H, at USA Rehab Centers, with an S, dot org. Mitch at USA Rehab Centers, dot org. And by the way, I'm going to give out my cell number nationally because this is how important it is. 775-287-0107. And I hope my phone lights up like Christmas mm. because that would be the biggest gift you could give me. Yeah. And for those of you guys that didn't have enough time to go chop down a tree, carve it into a pencil, we'll actually put all that information down into the show notes for you guys there as well. Uh, I was taking time in. I had, I had the pen ready, although I already have all your information. I'm like, he's going to give it at some point. I'm going to write it down. I started to write down the email. I'm like, I've been communicating with this guy for weeks. <laughs> I was texting him earlier today on his phone. I know I have that number. Um, you said you got 500 providers. Are we in, are we in all 50 states here yet, Mitch? No, we're actually just reaching a couple of dozen uh, right now. And okay. is, uh, we're, we're looking to expand this right now. So yeah. in order to build this kind of technology, I'll tell you what I found out. First, you got to build it. And then you got to launch it. And we launched it in the middle of COVID. Mm. By the way, that didn't help anything. <laughs> but it did make the need for our work go up. Yeah. And um, that's the, the sad part is by the time we launched it, the world's greatest need is there. The need for our work is the greatest ever. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could tell you by the time we launched it and, and perfected it, that there was no longer a need for our work. We wasted our time, but that's the opposite is true. Um, but the thing is, is then you have to perfect it. You have to beta test it and you have to bug fix it and you have to get it stable. And then you have to make it work properly and function and, and dot every I and cross every T. And we have got a working functioning. By the way, we have tens of thousands of visitors to our site and only hundreds of providers. Mm -hmm. So we have more people looking for help than we have the help on there yet, which is a, very scary for me. We want to make sure that when people come to the site, that the providers are there. So it is go time and it is full throttle, pedal to the metal. We need it done and we need all your help and we need it now. But the site's alive, stable and functioning and uh, ready to grow nationally. Yeah. How are you guys leveraging AI in any way to build the backend database? Is that something you've explored or looked into? Again, the problem with information, the problem that's always been out there is there have been what we call directories on the internet, which is just like an old phone book. Yeah. And um, every type of internet directory out there, whether it be Google, Yahoo, Bing, or, you know, City, Manta, Foursquare, I mean, there's hundreds of internet directories, right? their lists and very little searchable capability. And then the accuracy is absolutely everything. Bad data is bad output. What we've built is good data and good data is what helps save lives. And so the thing that separates this is each provider, their insurance companies can change the insurance companies they accept. 
And so to build this, it has to be the provider that puts all of what they have into the system and only they know it. And AI can't scour it and get it all 100% accurate. Not at this point. This is something that has to be built the old fashioned way with love and labor. And we're just committed to that. Yeah. You know, people that are out there that provide these services, there's no excuse. There's no cost if they want to go on there. And if they want to know why they should upgrade, they can call me and ask me. You mentioned um, education and awareness uh, is a big part of what you guys are, are doing. How, how are you leveraging education and what plans in the, in, in, in the future? Gosh, you're full of great questions today. And I almost would have missed that if it wasn't for you. Uh, first of all, we're adding drop downs. And if somebody goes to our site right now, there's only a few different uh, things here. But under types of treatment. We're going to have uh, all of the different things that you could choose, like uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation or, or cognitive behavioral therapy or equine therapy or wilderness therapy, you know, Hmong programs. What are these things? And that people can go on there and learn about all these different treatment programs they may have never even known existed. Mm. And then we're also adding blogs and podcasts. So if anybody out there, it's another good question to call on the community, has a blogger podcast that's related to drug, alcohol, mental health, physical injury, legal, uh, we welcome them. Just reach out to me and we'll, we'll add those to our website. We want people to be able to come here, research treatment types, get help, stay in this conversation called recovery and help others and keep coming back and, uh, and having reference to this for you know, their journey. I don't want to get anybody in trouble here, Mitch, and hopefully you can answer this maybe just from an opinion perspective. What are your thoughts on AA 12 steps in terms of uh, helping people with recovery? Well, one of the things that I'll tell you is there isn't uh, one uh, cure to everything. Um, If you give me a second, I'm going to pull something up. I'm going to read to you a quick quote here, and um, it will kind of answer that question a little bit. Um, There isn't one cure for everything. And um, I'm going to pull this up because this is a really, really um, well-written. And by the way, this is according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse. No single treatment is appropriate for everyone. Treatment varies depending on the type of drug and the characteristics of of the patients. Matching treatment settings, interventions, and services to an individual's particular problems and needs is critical to his or her ultimate success in returning to productive functioning in the family, workplace, and society. Effective treatment attends to the multiple needs of the individual, not just his or her drug abuse. To be effective, treatment must address the individual's drug abuse and any associated medical, psychological, social, excuse me, social, vocational, and legal problems. It is important that the treatment be appropriate to the individual's age, gender, ethnicity, and culture. By gosh, if that doesn't describe why we built our website. Mm. And I just found that article within the last 30 days on the National Institute on Drug Abuse. And it's true. There isn't a one-size-cures-all. And I think uh, 12 steps, they're on our program. I mean, mm. we have AANA. Old Readers Anonymous, uh, Al-Anon, and Adult Children of Alcoholics. We also have 150 other ways that people can get well. Because here's my thing. I don't want you to die. Yes. And if one isn't right for you, I hope that with our service, you can find the one that is. Mm. Thank you for asking that, too. God, you're really an appropriate question. I think they're great programs, and they save a lot of lives. 100%. 100% agree. I agree that, that not every not every program is, is, is right for everybody. Not every fitness routine is, is right for everybody. Coming from a guy that's got a fitness background, not every recovery. That's why I've had half a dozen, if not more, porn addiction recovery coaches on this podcast. People be like, why are you bringing your competition? I was like, it's not my competition. Those guys were fighting the same fight. Like, that's my brother. Like, we're locked up together. So, well, amazing, I call it co-opetition together mm. to more dragons. Anything I didn't ask you that I should have, Mitch? You didn't ask me if you could just throw a couple million dollars at us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> You've been really... 
You've been guys, <laughs> there's a handful of you out there that uh, that we could there are probably people out there that could do that. And by the way, I I, I wouldn't be insulted if somebody did. Um, it would help a lot. Look, there are a lot of lives that we could save with that help. So yeah, there's somebody out there that has the philanthropic nature that can support our work. Um, you know, we'll sit down and make sure that it's structured in a way where they'll see value in that contribution. Yeah. Yeah, guys, reach out, reach out to Mitch. Um, this is one I'm asking you guys to really, really share this. Think about all the people that you know in your life. Think about maybe the people that are struggling. Think about the guys that are philanthropic. You know what oh, I'm saying? <laughs> philanthropic, philanthropic. Uh, guys, so this is one. Uh, we got all of Mitch's information. We got the USARehabCenters.org site. Plug down there. Go on, go on the site, guys. Mess around with it. Navigate around. Look at some of the different providers. Look at, look at what they're doing. Obviously, as you talked about here today, it is a project in progress right now so make sure to connect it out uh but if there's any help that you guys can have whether it's sharing whether it's supporting whether it's your dollars your time your money your resources make sure to connect with mitch here but that i, I want to make sure if somebody right now is in new york and they search in their own area they may not find a provider in that neighborhood yet that shouldn't scare them at all yeah. we built the site and now we need to populate in all yes. the communities around the country so i want to give somebody a search so they can Go on and experience the value of this site. So I'm going to really give you a minute and I hope they'll do this and maybe replay this part of the podcast in front of their computer. But if you look for um, just one of the things our website does is it search by geolocation. But if your geolocation is off or you want to have an anonymous search and you don't want to be tracked, you can search by zip code. So you go to the bottom of the search for help page and you put in use zip code and choose 50 miles from 89503 zip code, which is where our corporate offices are. You'll see a, a group of businesses in Northern Nevada that are on the site. You'll look, you'll see what it looks like when a community starts to come online. Mm. And then I want somebody to do a drill down. I wanna show that this is what's possible with our website. If you go to search for help on our home screen, by the way, our website, usarehabcenters.org, know if we said that hopefully you put that in the beginning of this yeah. too and throughout it um the on the home screen you can search for help or find help and then i want you to put in i'm a male i'm looking for help for alcoholism cocaine and methamphetamines i have a problem with depression etna is my insurance and then go down and use zip code 50 miles of 89503 and hit search, and you're going to see a handful of facilities that can help that individual precisely what they need. And they won't hear, well, we don't take your insurance. We don't offer that kind of treatment. We don't do medical detox. This is the problem that exists right now. Yeah. I've talked to people in the industry. It'll take anywhere from three hours to three days to find the right facility. And this does it in under three seconds. That could be like you talked about at the beginning. That could be too much time for some of these people, right? So, yeah, so I been... want to make sure if somebody does the search in their own area, they don't think the site isn't working. It's just that we need to get their community yeah. online. And that's where we call on the business community in each of these communities to be leaders and to join us and become lead sponsors in their community yeah. and be responsible for bringing this to their community. Yeah. Yeah. We're calling on you guys help here. Uh, last question here, Mitch, we like to end every show here with, with the same question. Uh, to be a little bit different of a direction that we take this one, obviously, uh, once again, guys, check out usrehabcenters.org. connect with Mitch. We got his email. We got his phone number. He shared that here in, 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 in the podcast. It's also shared down in the show notes. Mr. Tyler's show is called the superhuman life. Uh, for me, when I talk about living a superhuman life, it's, it's a belief system. It's, it's how I try to show up in the world every single day. And I think we're aligned in this. I come from a, faith that I believe that we're here for a purpose. So there's a calling on each and every single one of our lives. Mitch is here for a reason. Frank's here for a reason. And every single person listening to this is here for a specific reason. There's something that we're called to do, but I think too many people stop. They're like, yeah, God made me for a purpose. Like I'm here for, I'm here for a purpose, right? There's a meaning behind my life. I think we need to be intentional about our growth or about our development and how we bring that purpose to service of others in the world. And when you pair those together, the belief plus the intentionality at which you bring that purpose to the world, that's how to find living a superhuman life. But I love to get the guest take. So Mitch Bernie, as we end today's conversation, how would you define living a superhuman life? Well, you really called it, uh, except that I didn't know that this was my calling. Um, you know, 
uh, my God had to use a sledgehammer to wake me up and tell mm-hmm. me this is what you need to do. And I actually said, next time you have a really good idea about what I need to do in my life, could you use an instrument, you know, a little more subtle than a sledgehammer? And then I retracted that and said, you use whatever instrument you need as long as you let me know what my calling is. Mm-hmm. Or I would say, um, just have your ears open. Yeah. Get the plugs out. Because it'll show itself. And when it does, the question is, do you recognize it? Do you act upon it? And do you take it on? Or do you just let it go and justify it? as? Uh, I mean, my friends have asked me a couple of times why I did this. They think that I built this site because I might need mental health uh, help myself for, what, for, for being crazy enough to do this. You know, I, sh- I should be retiring, traveling the world, doing all these other things. And the thing that drives me today is to see this through, to see this expand globally because we built it to scale globally. And to know at the end of the day, when I put my head on that final pillow, that I'll have left something that could last for generations beyond mm. my lifetime. Yeah. That's something that's superhuman life. Yeah. Powerful guys. You heard it here. Take the earplugs out and start to listen. Uh, for Mitch Bernie, your host here, Frank Rich. We love you guys. Like I said, this is one that we're asking you guys to take some action on. Share this episode. But we love you guys. We'll see you next week.